Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to Season 9, beginning of 2022. We are back in your ear holes with some new content. I hope everyone enjoyed the summer series and winter warmies. Oh my God. <laughs> I really hoped we were going to get through at least 10 months without saying that. Again, yeah. that'll be the last time, I promise. Okay. So, how was your break? It was lovely. It was... Genuinely really lovely and much needed um, and took some real time and effort to unwind into, I'm going to say. It feels like a while ago now, but uh, yeah, it was, um, how do I, I was going to say productive. It was a productive break, but not in like the getting stuff done sense. More so, I did a lot of soul searching, did a lot of deep thinking and thinking about work and transitions and change and things that I wanted to keep the same and things that I wanted to let go of. And yeah. Well, yeah, that sounds like a hostful episode almost. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But ultimately, if I'm being perfectly honest uh, and relevant to this current conversation, Mm. I didn't for quite a while there, I didn't think that I would come back to the podcast. (gasps) Yeah. Well, on behalf of all your listeners, welcome back. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. No, it was, I realized that for a little while there, and it was probably just a symptom of the last two years uh, and everything that has happened personally and globally and everything in between, I'd lost my why for the podcast a little bit. Okay. And, or rather, I don't know that I lost it. I think that. It shifted and... I think it's been evolving because last season was totally different to anything, any other season you've ever done. And I really enjoyed it. So did I. We've got some really good feedback saying that people really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. And I think that that was probably really helpful in bringing me back around to, you know, a new version of, of my why for the podcast. But essentially where I landed with it is that I think... It's fair to say that most people have found themselves struggling over the last little while, um, you know, either directly as a result of COVID and everything that that has, every change that that has brought, but also with the tension between like hope for the future and uncertainty, you know, that heavy kind of weight of uncertainty. And this is certainly how I felt over the last six months or so. It's like, well, I don't know what's coming next. So, you mm. know, like, what do you want from me? That's That was sort yeah. of like my overarching feel. And I think that a lot of people would recognize themselves in that too. So where I've landed with the podcast is I want it to be something that can be a practical help okay. in reconfiguring, recalibrating, reframing, uh, you know, our own personal why and also practically what life can look like moving forward. Mm. So using slow living, I guess, as a lens through which to to look at all of that. I like that. Yeah. So that that's sort of really where nice. I landed and it's given me yeah. direction and it's given me energy. There's energy behind, uh, you know, my ideas and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of energy for this season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some really exciting conversations coming up. Um, 
and I'm really looking forward to sharing them with everyone. Including this one. Absolutely. With Jody Wilson from Practicing Simplicity. Mm-hmm. Jody is a delightful human. So if you have been around the simplicity space online for the past few years, you've almost certainly come across her work. Her writing is gorgeous. Her photography is stunning. She just has, she imbues all of her work with this um, serenity. And I've always appreciated that. There seems to be like a, a real intention to every word that she shares, every image she shares. Uh, and I feel like it's counter to me. Like I'm quite scattershot <laughs> and she's not. And I really, uh, I really appreciate her work and her perspective on the world. Um, and she and I talk a lot about something that almost feels like it shouldn't be relevant because she and her family pre-COVID um, sold all of their possessions, packed up. I know what that feels like. Absolutely. Um, and they lived in a caravan, a family of six, lived in a caravan, travelled Australia. I don't know what that no, feels like. No, I don't like. know that part. Family of six in a caravan. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so it feels like that shouldn't be relevant. And yet the conversation feels so beautifully relevant because she and I talk a lot about the practicalities of making a big shift in life, regardless of what it looks like, uh, you know, letting go and everything that that idea encapsulates, not waiting for timing to be perfect to mm. take a risk. No, that's a huge one. Um, and also, and this was really interesting for me, how to, to take a big leap when you are a risk-averse person, as Jody is, okay. self-admittedly. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I have taken leaps, but you and I kind of thrive on the idea of risk. But I've said this before, I don't think I've in the... I think I've had to grow into a more risky individual. (laughs) You're a risky prospect, Benjamin. No, I I would agree with that. Hmm. Um, But I I feel like it's a really insightful kind of part of the conversation because I think a lot of people read and hear these stories of, you know, slow, simple living leading to these big life changes and it feels – so foreign and so out of their comfort zone. So I loved that Jody was prepared to dig into that and her own vulnerabilities and, you know, how she moved through them as well to ultimately get to a place where she and her family were able to, to learn about themselves and, you know, again, recalibrate, reframe, revisit the, all of those questions of what is important to us. And I think there is so much of what she shares that is really relevant and valuable to us as we find ourselves right now in terms of uncertainty. Mm. Yeah. So it's just a brilliant, brilliant conversation. Awesome. Where can people go to find out more about Jodi and her stories? So she is practicingsimplicity.com and she's also practicing simplicity on Instagram. I will link to both of those um, in the show notes, which for this season, you can find at slowyourhome.com slash season nine, the number nine. But she's also written a book and I would really like to highly recommend it to people to get a physical copy of this book because it is so beautiful. Her photography, as I mentioned, is just gorgeous and invites you to stop and look and really kind of focus on the subject of her photos. And it is, to me, slow living in photograph form. Mm. You know, I love a good macro. I love like those details of nature and 
people existing within nature and that's something she does really well but it is truly very beautiful so I'm going to include a link to her book which is called Practicing Simplicity Small Steps and Brave Choices for a Life Less Distracted and that is an awesome awesome title for the book it is I will include a link to that on the show notes as well thank you you're very welcome alright let's get into the conversation enjoy Jody, hello how are you look I'm well Oh gosh, it is just wonderful to actually connect with you screen to screen after reading your work and viewing your beautiful images and diving into your book over the last few days. It's just a treat to actually see you. I wish we were doing this in person. I wish we were too, but we, you know, this is next best thing. Yes, Zoom will have to do, as is (laughs) the motto of the last two years. Yeah. Now, I want to start with. A question about simplicity, um, because it is right there in the title of everything that you do, um, practicing simplicity. Do you have a definition for simplicity? I don't have a definition, but I embrace it as a mindset and an attitude and something to guide me when I feel like my priorities are out of whack. Mm. It's like my grounding. And there's a whole chapter in my book about what is simplicity. And it's actually the second chapter I wrote in the book. And it was the hardest chapter to write because I feel like there's, I feel like simplicity has really been skewed over the years. And when we think of simplicity, we think of it as an aesthetic. Yeah. Like clean lines and matching glass jars and modernism and minimalism but what I've discovered over the years um, from time spent living in an ashram um, and from 14 years of motherhood and from recently spending two and a half years living and traveling in a caravan with my partner and our four children is that simplicity is messy and it's rough around the edges and it ebbs and flows with the demands of life and sometimes it is neat and ordered and um, it's having everyone's shoes lined up in a row ready for school and sometimes it's just a lot of odd socks and just going to bed early and doing what you can um, to get through life which you know for a lot of us and especially in the past few years has been really uncertain and quite challenging Um, and we're just kind of doing the best we can. Mm. But simplicity, I, I like to think of it as my anchor and my compass. If I feel overwhelmed, I just come back to those very simple habits and rituals that are non-negotiable in my day and that ha- can help guide me from one day to the next. That's what simplicity is for me. And I, I mean, I have to admit, I love that you didn't have a definition in terms of it looks like A, B and C mm-hmm. and X, Y and Z, because I know in my own experience of exploring what simple and slow look like, <clears throat> any time that I have found myself drawn to a rigid sort of definition or a set of rules or, you know, whatever it might be, routine, um, it becomes very constrictive and sort of the antithesis of, of what you're looking for, which is fluidity and 
Um, that sense of groundedness, but also that sense yeah. of flow, you know. When it's rigid, that you often feel like you're failing. Yes. And we don't need that. No. No one needs that. And, um, and I remember thinking years and years ago, and I wrote this in the book, that I didn't want to add simplicity to my to-do list. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to tick, you know, I didn't want to get to the point where I was like, I didn't tick that off today, you know, because it's, um, it's not realistic and it's not helpful. No. I mean, if you view it as a tool, right, as something that's going to help rather than become something yes, else you hinder. have to build. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say you're always, you've always been someone who was drawn to simplicity or was that something that you arrived at? Um, was there a, a moment, a catalyst change? Yes, and it's changed a lot over the years, um, but I was first introduced to it when I studied at the ashram um, because, I mean, if you ever go to a yoga studio, you'll notice there's not a lot of clutter and it's that's very purposeful because clutter is distracting. Um, but when I was at the ashram, they talked a lot about mental clutter um, and I think in this day and age that can look like um, that's the mental load, mm. you know, that we all talk about and that's obligation and overwhelm. Um, and the crux of the message at the ashram was that you can start where you are with what you have. And so over the years I've, I've fought for simplicity but I've also, you know, thinking that, you know, there was a time that it really was about for me um, less stuff and um, decluttering and, and, you know, that mentality. But then I also just realised that with four children, my life is always going to be a bit messy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what does simplicity look like for me? And the crux of our decision to travel, um, you know, that there was a few moments that kind of... Um, led to that decision to sell most of what we owned. We, we sold about 80% of what we owned. And it was to live a life with the boundaries of a very small home, which was our caravan, and also to live with less obligation and less plans and kind of just live in that space in between, mm. that breathing space. And I was the least likely candidate for that for that journey. Like I've always been scared of change and I've always been a homebody and home's been really important to me. But um, I, I saw our opportunity to live and travel in the caravan as a way to actually practice simplicity. Yeah. So everything that we carried with us had to have a purpose multiple purposes we had to consider the weight of everything because when you're towing a caravan weight is very important from a safety perspective um and the size of everything and six people in a caravan is a lot of people in a caravan six six people in a caravan is a lot of people so I really had to um yeah we really had to be very strict with our belongings and we had to take a real it was just a really big leap of faith and let go of everything that was certain about our life. And as someone who um, you write in in the book about, you know, you have always found yourself kind of resistant to change and, you know, mm. you become anxious about the idea of uncertainty. Did you end up landing in a place 
or, you know, discovering a, a tool or a shift in mindset that helped you with that level of uncertainty that, uh, you know, you kind of jumped into? Well, so there was eight months between the day we decided to do this trip and then the eight months between then and when we drove out of our driveway, having packed up our life and with the caravan on the back. And every day my uncertainty and my fear reared its ugly head mm. that was there every day. And so I just had to really um, come back to doing it like literally step by step, breath by breath, um, I refer to um, Anne Patchett's book, um, no, not Anne Lamont's book, Bird by Bird, and she takes that approach to writing and life. Um, and I just remember sitting on the floor one night when I should have been packing boxes and I was like, I've literally just got to take this bird by bird. Or in my um, situation, it was like odd sock by odd sock. <laughs> there were so many odd socks <laughs> in the packing up of my house. It was quite insane. <laughs> and so that's, I just had to do that. I had to be really strict with myself because my anxiety was pummeling through me we were spending our hard-earned house deposit on a caravan and four-wheel drive we'd never caravanned before looking back I'm like I, I just it's just my intuition knew it was the right choice for us and mm. so I just had to really anchor my trust in that but yeah that's that's kind of how I dealt with that and then on the road we just were spend, when you live in a really small space, you naturally gravitate outside, regardless of the season or the weather. And so we were spending like 10 to 12 hours a day outside in all different places. Um, and I was barefoot a lot of the time. <laughs> and I started to think about the fact that I'd spent you know, the last 10 years of my motherhood encouraging my children to go and play outside and I hadn't given myself that same advice. And all the research that you and I have both read and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are wary of is that nature heals us mm -hmm. and when we spend time in nature and when we're barefoot on the earth and when we observe beautiful moments in nature and it grounds us. It literally pulls us down towards the earth and it grounds us and it settles us. And that's what happened to me on, on my trip. Mm. And I think that that combination of encouraging and reminding yourself to just take the smallest possible step, like mm. bird by bird, sock by sock, you know, mm. breath by breath, combined with an understanding, like a, a more expansive understanding that nature also often mm. gives us that space in which to kind of sink yeah. into the tiny moments is such a beautiful yeah. combination because regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what overwhelming, you know, adventures or new things or fears or anxieties or uncertainties mm. are, are coming at us, we can always find that one breath in front of us or that one tiny detail in nature, you know. Yeah. And also, you know, we take 30,000 breaths in a day. So what could you shift right now to make your breathing more comfortable? Mm. And I think it also comes back to just we live in a life that's naturally busy and there's a lot of obligations. And we've been, it's been ingrained in us that productivity is success. 
yes. it's really unraveling all of that and saying, actually, you know, my children don't do any extracurricular activities because I witnessed on the road how beneficial free time and free play is in non-structured education. And now mm. they go to a beautiful um, public school five days a week. Um, but I don't want to be running around in an afternoon in the car from one activity to the next. And, yeah, I just, at this point in our life, that's not important to us. And I feel like it's really kind of getting back to, like, what is important to me? You know, that's a really good question. What's important to me right now? What's beneficial to me right now? Mm. And also I think... What I should be doing. Exactly. And also, you know, I think learning how to sit in that um, discomfort of saying, Mm -hmm. well, here's the answer that I can feel, you know, intuitively, I know this is the answer and it is sitting in complete opposition to what I'm being told I should be doing. So it's sort of learning how to be okay with that, you know, either embrace the discomfort or um, kind of dive headfirst into that idea of counter-cultural living. you know, I find a combination of both is probably probably yes, the most realistic right. way of doing it. And it's being comfortable in the discomfort. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, being okay with that. And, you know, I say all this stuff and I've written a book on this stuff. But I don't do this stuff all the time. And I really wanted to, you know, make sure that just because I've written this book doesn't mean that I am like the guru of this. I wrote this book to remind myself, if anything, because I think, you know, being in my late thirties with four children and work and life and housing and (laughs) income, it's like I've entered full adulting mode and I can really feel that now. And so, you know, I, this book is a reminder for myself as well as for anyone out there that um, it really is the simple stuff that we need to come back to when we're feeling a little wobbly. <laughs> you know? and it's that, it is that coming back. You know, I love that mm. phrase because I picture it. I picture, mm. you know, myself getting off track and going, okay, turn around, <laughs> come back, just come yeah. back. And yeah. it's, um, it's not because you're always there. It's not because you're always nailing it. It's, mm. it's that anchor, you know, that compass that you mentioned earlier um, calling you back. And yeah. I think learning how to recognize when things have gotten off track mm. is as important as any of the rest of the the stuff, you know, around simplicity because it speaks to having time. You know, you need you need yeah. to give yourself that, those spaces in between that, um, mm. you know, that breathing room, that white space, whatever you want to call it, in which you check in with yourself. Because if we jam everything full, even if those the things that we're jamming our life full of are efforts to simplify or slow down or do what we think we should be doing in those efforts, um, we're not giving ourselves any space in which to reflect, you know, um, asking myself, what's this, you know, this tightness in my chest about, you know, what, where's that coming from and, and sitting for five minutes and thinking on it or journaling or meditating or, you know, whatever it looks like. Um, I think that is a huge part of simplicity, of slow living that isn't necessarily explored as much. Um, and that's part of what I, I love about what you said about the spaces in between, you know, mm. settling into those spaces in between. 
do you have um, they're peppered throughout everyone's day yes are you aware of them to take hold of them you know exactly are you conscious of the fact that there is space here or are you running to fill it Um, the next thing yeah and also you know we talk about breathing space and space in between but there's um you know, our culture's really quite against rest. Mm-hmm. And I hate the term self-care because I feel like it's been hijacked by pedicures and spa days. Oh, my God, yes. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't, I used to feel guilty for afternoon naps and now, and I'm really, my partner and I are both really aware of teaching our children the importance of honouring your body and resting mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. need to. Um, and I know that, you know, all we've got is time, isn't it? Yeah. And we don't we don't know what's going to happen next week. And so all we really do have is time today. Um, and so I'm I'm a better person. I'm a I'm a less anxious and overwhelmed person if I can really honor my body and my mind by resting when I need to rest and um and kind of really respecting myself in that I know that if I go out too often, I'm exhausted and it doesn't do my creativity any favours or my health any favours or my patience any mm-hmm. favours. So I don't know if these are the realisations you have just as you get older and out of necessity, but um, that's where I've come to, that you know, space and rest and um and I think it really comes down to particularly for women is that letting go of that sense of obligation yeah. that only gets bigger as um, you get older, as you get deeper into your prof- profession, when you have children, if you have children, and as they grow older, I think that obligation just kind of balloons. Mm. Well, I think the sense that many of us are brought up with that we need to please people. We need to yes. be everything to everyone, you know, yeah. um, and that somehow setting boundaries is something that we should be ashamed of because it means mm. that we're saying no in yes. some form, yeah. um, you know, so unlearning all of that it's is tricky. part of, it is tricky. It's yeah. really tricky. And I think it's part of, um, you know, embracing that idea of care mm. of rest without guilt do you, uh, what, so what is your relationship with rest now? I mean, do you have any rituals that you kind of return to when you feel yourself needing rest or care? I collect sea glass, which is probably the most Tasmanian <laughs> <laughs> ritual I could have embraced since ending up here. Um, but I just, so I've been kind of full-time writing for over a year now. and. Um, I am so grateful for the opportunity, but I also understand the ebb and flow of that journey like you do as well. And that sometimes there's days where you'll sit there and you just have to like sit in the space between paragraphs Mm -hmm. (laughs) or sentences and just let ideas swirl around and know that Today is just about those ideas swelling around and not getting words on the page. There's that 
And then the whole notion of productivity comes into that. Oh, yeah. I'm not being very productive because I've written one sentence today, you know. <laughs> but I've really learnt to, um, to observe that there's going to be weeks where I am getting a lot of words on the page and then there's weeks where I'm actually just ingesting, ingesting and digesting information and just mm. letting it settle until I can pop it on the page. But um, we do live near a little beach where there's lots of sea glass. So I often um, wander down there and it's like a meditation of sorts because I'm literally like looking at the sand and I'm like rock, shell, leaf, rock, paper, leaf, sea glass and I pick it up. And then I'm like, shell, rock, um, starfish. And it just keeps going like that. And it's like um, in yoga there's a, a meditation where you, it's called a, it's called japa meditation where you write like the om symbol um, one after the other and you repeat om with everyone. And I'm like, oh, this is a little bit like that, that I'm just like repeating everything. Um, so that that works. But I also, I'm also a big advocate for just going to bed early yes yes yeah and I just and if I stay up too late I pay for it the next mm-hmm. day um and yeah so I go to bed early and that is just really beneficial for me yeah. and sometimes I'll even work from bed all day which I realize is an incredible privilege but um I'm grateful for it as well I just think, yeah, embracing that, um, you know, finding what feels good and, and mm. right and, and cup filling for you mm. and unashamedly embracing it, you know. Mm. Uh, and as you were describing your uh, sea glass walks, mm. it, it just took me right back to the beginning of our conversation, which was step by step, you know, breath yeah. by breath, item by item. But you're also grounding yourself in the enormous kind of realm of nature. Uh, and it's just it's such a a, such a healing place to you know to put yourself um even just for a moment or two every day and it reminds you with such clarity that there really is so much beyond our control yes and that when you go into nature and there were I know you talk about awe in your book Mm. And there are a few, well, there was, you know, there was multiple, but there are a few moments on our journey around Australia that really struck me with such, they were so profound. And there was, there was one day where we were dealing with some enormous, expensive, confronting car issues <laughs> and, um, in summer in Tasmania, the sun doesn't set till like 9 p.m. And I was outside the caravan and just feeling, you know, we're already a few months into our trip and just the enormity of this issue had presented itself. And um, the sky was changing colour and all of a sudden there, were this, there, was, there was this murmuration of starlings and... I just stood there and watched them and they were like this shape-shifting cloud and if you listened really closely, you could hear the wind, the the sound of of their wings making 
like this pressure and I felt this pressure of that wind in my body and it was it was one of those moments that you could never attend to or plan to see but it was just at the right time and I was like oh, if I hadn't have stepped outside to catch my breath in the enormity of this car issue I would never have seen this mm. and I still remember how it felt that just that profound sense of beauty and awe in the simplest of nature. Mm. It was, um, yeah. It's, it makes all your little, it makes your big troubles not seem as big. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, kind of that recognition that we are a part of, a small part of something mm. enormous, vast, you know, beyond comprehension um, is is one side of, the or kind of equation mm. um i think that helps again to to land in that that place of um perspective feels like a clinical word but that's that's the one i'm going with but you know what mm. i mean you kind of land land in that that place of i am i am a part but i am one part of this yes, this vast right. thing it also helps you shift your perspective so and again, that word perspective, but well, maybe priorities is a better mm. word. Because when I started to see stuff like that on our journey, and when I realized how profound it was for my mindset and my heart, and just the gratitude to be able to witness events like that, it made me realize that I can't buy that. And it really mm. tapped into that understanding of frugal abundance yeah. <laughs> you know and then I naturally started thinking well if we can live so well on the road with so little with these opportunities to spend a lot of time outside witnessing mermations of starlings or the sunset at Uluru or just my kids playing on a beach for hours at a time what am I willing to sacrifice to be able to live like this mm. for a long time how can I now shift that understanding into my life now where we are living in a house again, in a little town? Um, how many hours am I willing to work to pay for things that I do or don't need? It just starts that conversation and I, I feel like it, it really helps me realise that time is, is more important and I'll actively choose not to buy things so that I don't have to spend as much time working so that I can have more freedom to go and see the starlings yeah I think um two things come to mind when you talk about that I've actually got a, a note down here time and I've circled it a million times mm. um because that's a conversation that Ben and I have had recently you know we we're talking about the last couple of years have really seen us and I'm sure a lot of people redefining um success again you know what does success look like and kind of extricating ourselves from the the system that gets its hooks in sometimes you know um and we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago when we were doing some some work in the garden and I said you know I would have said years ago that success was being able to pay someone to do this gardening work for us yeah. um and now it's having the time to do it myself mm. uh you know because I think that the idea of time 
is such a powerful one. And, you know, your question of what am I willing to exchange? You know, how much of my time am I willing to exchange for money in order to have something else when possibly the things that you can't buy, the memorations of starlings and the sunsets and watching your kids play and quiet moments sitting, you know, with someone you love, you can't buy any of them. So, you know, exchanging your time for money in order to not be able to buy those things anyway um, really requires a, a rethink, I think, um, or closer inspection maybe. Um, and for each of us, that's going to look different and it's going to look different at different points in our lives, of course. Um, but the other thing that struck me when you were talking about these awe-inspiring moments is we can't unhave them. You know, we no, can't unsee them. You. We are changed yeah on some deep, deep level forever by them. And it's up to us how much time and attention we give to them. But regardless, we are, we are forever changed. And I think that there's something really thrilling in that. If you allow yourself to be put in front of all, regardless if it's big or small or vast or tiny, you will be changed, you know, and the ways in which you'll be changed are mysterious, I guess, because that's when you end up doing things like, selling most of your stuff and living in a caravan for a couple of years or, you know, in our case, selling most of our stuff and going to Canada and exploring for, for a year, you know, had you told me that when I started to tap into these tiny little wonders, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, and yet that's where we found ourselves. And I think it, that also feeds into that concept of, you know, wow, I can see, I can experience these moments of awe without going far. Yeah. Even if I live in the depths of the city, even if I live in the most rural areas of this country, there is awe everywhere. They make my life more meaningful, these moments. I know, you know, from my experience of living in a very small space with very few belongings, I know we don't need a lot to live well which kind of naturally leads to the question, well, what do I need to live well? And that concept of time was really dictated where we were going to settle at the end of our journey because we can no longer afford to return to the central coast of New South Wales, where we're originally from, and where my parents still live in the house I grew up in, which is quite confronting. Mm. Um, but we also can't justify the amount that we would have to work just to be able to live there. Yeah. Because we know that we can live so well with so little. It's really layered, but it's also quite affirming. Yeah, and I think that when you ha have done the work to dig through those, those layers and you mm. arrive at a place that, yes, is a confronting answer mm. and yet you still face it with that sense of, rightness you know I think mm. that that's that's a really valuable place like that that's sort of the the payoff for the work that you have yes. done and you know the 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 lessons that you've learned and the stories that you've retold and you know the unpacking of all of it and the extricating yourself from that that system of productivity and you know um, it's capitalism. being aware as well exactly it's just being aware of what of, of how you are and what's important and um, I know it's the subtitle of my book but it's choosing to live less distracted yeah and, and also to really, be brave 
and to be brave yeah to make those brave choices and living less distracted is actually something you have to very mindfully and consciously do Mm. every day and I've written a whole chapter on distraction in the book because we are all distracted by one thing or another and for me it came down to are you going to be distracted by scrolling or are you going to be distracted by awe? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good choice. <laughs> Choose wisely, you know. Um, and, and, and I'm guilty of distracting people on social media, of being the distractor. <laughs> but I hope that I can distract people and then guide them to go outside and to make brave choices Mm. and take small steps and understand that I think I think if we can all change our perspective of what success is there'll be ripples well there there is ripples there I think there are just having conversations like this um sharing them with people hoping that they kind of pick up what we're putting down in our own learnings and Mm. you know messiness it does create ripples simply because very rarely are there um, examples, I guess, of doing things in a different way. And I think, you know, anytime I find myself wondering whether or not I've sort of maxed out these conversations around doing things differently, I think, but what if, you know, what if the next conversation that I have with someone is the thing that you know, awakens someone own, someone else's awareness or, the, you know, it encourages them to get outside and find something to be or inspired by or, you know, whatever it is. And I, I just think that anything that we can do to offer alternatives to the main story that we're being told is, mm. um, it's hopeful, you know. It's an it is hopeful. Hope. And it's just like start with today. It doesn't have to be like a... Like you don't have to pack up your life and travel in Australia in a caravan to, ha- to make those choices or have those moments. Just head to the mountains instead of the shopping centres on the mm-hmm. weekend. You know, backyard gardeners like yourself and Ben, you know the therapy of digging in the dirt. And it's the same with people that surf every weekend yeah. or people that choose to hike once a month in the national park. They they return to those places because they know it grounds them in a way that nothing else does. Mm. Um, And I think that's really powerful. And, you know, the amazing Annie Dillard, who is such a beautiful writer, and she writes a lot about writing. She wrote, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And that totally encompasses that whole idea of like just, Start today with what you've got, wherever you are. Exactly. Start where you are. Don't wish you were Start somewhere else you before are. you begin. Yeah. 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 And mm. um, I think there's your permission to practice simplicity. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you don't have to. Um, you don't have to completely declutter your life and live in a caravan or travel in Canada for a year like you can literally start where you are and I think that sense of community comes into that as well and you might not be a community person and that's okay but what I did realize from traveling is that there is 
the most beautiful communities in every town, in every mm-hmm. city, in every neighbourhood all over this country. Um, and you can find them at your local library yes. <laughs> um, or community gardens and um, community Facebook groups and street libraries and street food libraries. And I've definitely, from travelling, because I spoke to so many strangers, everyone was a stranger, um, and yet everyone was so welcoming regardless of where we are where we were so now when I wander the streets of my current neighborhood I just stop and talk to people who are gardening in their front garden and I've met some amazing people that way and I stand there for half an hour and have these conversations and and now they wave to me when I walk past and we stop and chat in the fruit and veg store and yeah they're they're kind of bolstering moments aren't they absolutely it's sort of that sense of belonging you know Brene Brown Mm. writes about belonging versus fitting in and belonging is that Mm. sense of being seen and held wherever you are Mm. um and I think that sort of going through a process of um simplifying in whatever shape that takes allows us to recognize the other sort of big part of the equation which is connection right connection to self yes but also connection to fellow human beings and recognizing that um the vast, vast, vast majority of people are good and kind and looking for that sense of belonging just Mm. like we are. Um, Yeah, and I think that that is, um, I I really think that that sense of, and and I'm saying this as an introvert, as someone who would very happily spend almost all my time alone. (laughs) Yeah. I I still find it incredibly um, valuable, vital to have that sense of belonging. Um, and I think traveling, what traveling did teach us was that you don't need to be a permanent fixture in a place in order to have that sense either. I think it's just about an awareness and openness, um, the ability, the capacity to recognize that people are good and kind and, you know, we're all searching for that sense of connection and something really valuable comes from that I think um that sends ripples out yes into wherever you find yourself but that also really does bounce back into yourself I think mm. um well they're just reminders aren't they yeah of what matters yeah exactly exactly and they stay with you much longer than the online purchase landing on your doorstep or um you know a sense of success from, well, that's not really true. A sense of success from a job well done is also beneficial. But I feel like, um, yeah, they just, they help you put your priorities back into place, don't they? Yeah. Those, that, those moments of connection. Mm, I agree. It's so funny um, when we moved here. Um, so we live in an area that, that quite a few people move from Sydney um, mm. to every year and there was sort of a running joke we lived in an airbnb for a while with a beautiful couple um and she said to me one day you'll you'll probably take at least 12 months to settle into the pace of things here because she said you can tell the you know the um the expats from sydney or another city because they come into the shop they just want to get what they need and they want to go home and they you know there's this sense of urgency or or rush 
And she said, you'll know that you've started to put down roots when you're prepared to have a half hour conversation at the fruit and veggie shop, or, you know, you run into three people while you're getting a coffee and what might take five minutes takes 45. Um, It's that, again, coming back to that sense of time, you know, um, and that has even been a really interesting kind of exercise for Ben and myself um, to again reflect on productivity and how that ties into our sense of time and importance and urgency and um, And flow yes exactly (laughs) exactly yeah am I going to allow myself to flow through the day or is there that rigidity of schedule and Mm -hmm. obligation there it is again that word yeah I'm really um ideally I'd like to go back to or I'd like to maintain that sense of not having those obligations yeah. I really feel the weight of obligation I really do and I don't think it's um and this is just me personally speaking but um it's I think it's why we chose to live in Tas- one of the reasons we chose to live in Tasmania as well there's not really there's no sense of urgency here yeah um and people make the very conscious decision to work less and they'll grow their food and they'll trade half a pig for like um vintage clothes a friend of mine's vintage clothes seller and she's traded like for half a pig before um and not once has anyone asked me what I do right which is that's interesting I find that very interesting um because they just don't care yeah because it's just like oh yeah let's just have a chat about more important interesting yeah things. Mm-hmm. yeah and um there's just no, there's no rush here. Mm, I love the um, alternate economy idea, you know, of mm. bartering and community, um, mm. community resources. And I think that that's something that I've certainly seen a shift um, over the last couple of years with the pandemic towards that way of thinking. I don't know that on a grander scale it will stick. I, I genuinely don't know. I'm not being kind of cynical. Um, but even just to see those conversations of food sharing and um, mutual aid networks and all of that, that sort of stuff uh, has Mm. been, I guess, bolstering Mm. um, that, you know, we are looking for for different ways in uh, to do things. Well, it's kind of, it's joy, isn't it? Yes. That's what it is. It's like when you walk past, I drove past the other day and there was a woman like, putting a lot of food that she just bought from the IGA into a street food cupboard pantry. Uh, and I felt as the passerby an incredible amount of joy yeah. from that moment. And, you know, I was, I was grateful to have, to have witnessed it. Mm. It's that sense of kindness, you know, the way kindness is contagious, not only for the person giving the kindness and the person receiving it, but for anyone who observes it, it changes you again, you know, and that sense of, oh, we are connected and, oh, we do have choices in the ways in which we show up and our priorities. And we, again, we can't unlearn, I can't unsee those things. We can't unlearn the things that we learn about ourselves in those moments. Mm. Um, Yeah. And it's, that's, it's so interesting that, um, that concept of memories as well and what we do remember. Yeah. Because when I think back on our 
entire journey and there was lots of ups and downs. Um, but I just remember the awe and the joy and I can feel it. Mm. I don't just remember it, but I, I remember like it's still in my body as like just that spine tingling, goose bumpy moment. Like when the sun sets at Uluru, there's like this 10 second moment where it illuminates, like someone's just turned a nightlight on inside of it. And you literally feel like you're glowing too. And I remember that. It's like a, it's incredibly visceral. Mm. Um, and I remember that beyond the time where we had to reverse down a hill because the car broke down <laughs> <laughs> with the caravan attached. And all the and the and the fear and the unknown of, of everything to do with our car issues or you know, gastro in a caravan. That's never fun. Oh god. But the awe is um is much more profound. Yeah. And um again, priorities and perspective shifts. Absolutely. <laughs> That's what Absolutely. it is, isn't it? And it's um, you know, and it's choosing a life. I think I think that is what is simplicity is for me. It's choosing a life where those things really take pride of place and even when they kind of fall to the bottom I really do what I can to bring them back to the top Mm. you know so that so that we're all aware of the choices we're making and the habits that are carrying us on and and choosing to embrace those habits that really um remind me of the good in life because there's a lot of good out there isn't there there is and I think that's a really wonderful place um it does it does feel tough but I also Mm. think that it's really I mean it is undoubtedly tough and it has been um but I also think that those reminders to slot back into the tiny moment to the you know step by step breath Mm -hmm. by breath um or the really vast ones those awe-inspiring ones of looking at the stars you know looking at grains of sand on a beach Mm. um and recognizing that you know, our ordinary lives, if we have the opportunity to drink tea on the back step in the sun in the morning and to go to bed early and to rest when we need to and to walk barefoot on the grass, they're really quite remarkable experiences to pepper your day with. And I feel like social media has really skewed idea of a beautiful life. Yeah. Um, our ordinary lives are pretty beautiful. They are. And I think that's just, I mean, look, I could talk to you for much, much longer, Jody, but I think that's a really wonderful place to wrap up this conversation because um, it's just a call back, you know, it's a call back to those tiny moments, those beautiful, you know, pockets of joy or delight or awe or, or ordinary contentment. Um mm as powerful because they are you know so I would very much encourage everyone listening to read your delightful book because it is I think above all else an exploration of why those moments of um, you know ordinary beauty are so powerful and it's something that all of us can can um, tap into and relate to Um, and we also get to travel yeah exactly (laughs) exactly 
and we get to travel with you and your beautiful family um, around the country too. It's a yeah, gorgeous book. lots of photos. Yes, there are, <laughs> and they're stunning. So um, well done on the book. And for everyone listening, please go. It will be out now in bookstores um, and online, and I will include links to it in the show notes. Um, but please go and check it out because I think that as we shift into a new year and things start to, you know, take shape again, it's a really wonderful place to land and maybe springboard off for your own version of simplicity. So Jody, thank you. Thank you so much, Brooke. It's been so nice to chat with you. Oh, likewise. <laughs>